This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. If you need a Bible, once you get your hand up really, really high, and our ushers would get you the Word of God, then you can go with me to 2 Samuel 5. So all you note-takers, we're going to go to 2 Samuel 5, then we'll go to James 1, then we'll go back to 2 Samuel 11. In that order, if we get that far. I welcome all of you. Again, we're on our series here, The Call, but I, I can't allow the call to become my God. And that's very easy to do. And so what you're going to see here take place this morning, I'm just going to warn you, God, God's getting ready to get into your business, okay? And, and I mean big time today. And so the reason God does that is he wants to increase in you and you decrease in you. So he's wanting to move us up to a higher level, but I'm just, I'm just warning you know, today, okay? And remember, this thing about the Word of God, the, the Bible's ancient, the Bible's old, but the Bible's not outdated. I, I don't care what society says, the Bible is still relevant to this day. So in saying that, we begin 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 3. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. And so what you're seeing right here is David is now the king. He's no longer the anointed king. He, he is now the king. And we've seen week after week that this took place through hardships and persecution. This, this was not an overnight story. And so when you look at what we're talking about here, patience is the companion of wisdom. You may want to tweet that, okay? Patience is the companion of weakness, uh, wisdom. Verse four. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. And so again, David didn't settle for the immediate. He looked to the ultimate. And we know when this took place, it was like 17 years in the making but I believe if David could say one thing for you and me today, he would say this, yesterday's over, tomorrow's not here, all you got's to today, so make your today's count. Make them count, every one of them. So when you look at what's going on here with the scriptures, David is the king. And the devil knows he's the king. And even when you become the king, that doesn't mean you're exempt from the devil. The devil's after your call all the time. When you're the anointed king and you're the king. Verse number 12. So David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel. The Amplified says here, David perceived he was king. In other words, he knew, I'm the king now. The very thing that God spoke into my heart. Now look, look what the call for every one of us is when it comes to a calling. Watch, watch this in verse 12. And that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Your calling is always about people. Always. You know why? People matter to God. All people matter to God. Doesn't matter your color of skin. Doesn't matter your background. You know what I found out? Our God can work through your failures. 
Anybody in here got a little failure in your life? Whew. I got a notebook of failures in mine. Turn with me back into the New Testament in James chapter one. That's right after Hebrews. James chapter one and why we're gonna go here to James one and then back to, to 2 Samuel 11 is we're gonna give you an idea biblically kind of where we're going today. So first, not first, but James chapter one, verse 12. Blessed. The word blessed means happy, fortunate, to be envied. Every one of us in here like that word blessed. Woo, I like the blessings. God, I want you to bless me, Father God, but I don't want to do what you want me to do. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. So there's some type of blessing that accompanies my life when I endure temptation. In other words, when you stand up to temptation. Now, none of us in here are exempt from temptation, okay? Temptation's gonna happen. It even happened to Jesus. And so he said, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who loved him. And so the crown of life here is to those who don't allow the, the trials of this life to cause you to recant your faith. You stay with it day by day by day. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. And so temptation is an enticement to evil, but listen, God in no way does he solicit sin. That's not God, all right? God's not the one behind temptation. Verse 14, but each one is tempted, and how's that take place? When he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. When I'm drawn away by my own desires and I'm enticed. The word enticed means I'm baited. And so not only is the, the hook baited, but I took the hook. And he goes on to say, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now this is the progression of it. And then sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. When uh, sin grows up, it brings forth death. And when it talks about death there, it's meaning a, a separation from God. I'm separated from God. And so this is the, the, the gold of temptation. But there's some type of blessing that is given to each one of us when we endure the temptation. When you walk through those things in life, there's a blessing. And so for me to walk through a temptation, you know what that means? You're gonna grow. You're gonna have to grow in the things of God. You know, the Lord Jesus himself was tempted. Now we end in verse 16 and he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. What he just wrote to, and I'm talking about James here, it was written to Christians. If you're born again, this was written to you. And he said, don't be misled. Don't get thrown off track. Don't kid thyself. These are all possibilities is what he's telling me and you. 
And, and so when you look at all this right here, the devil knows all our weaknesses. Let me give you a little analogy on this. This may help you. The devil's like a football coach. He's watched all your game film. And he knows your weaknesses. And he knows your tendencies. And so the devil doesn't attack your strengths. He goes after your weaknesses. And so this just becomes a warning to every one of us that there's going to be some enticing. There's going to be some baiting. Now, this is going to come into play big this morning. So go back with me in the Old Testament to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel 11. So in saying all that, the devil, he desires your downfall where God desires your development. And all of us are being developed day by day. Remember, God's the potter and we're the clay. And so he's going to continue. As long as you're alive on this earth, God's going to always be tweaking you. Are you okay with God tweaking you? You better be because he's going to do it anyhow. Not to beat us up, but that's how much he loves us. So we know now here in 2 Samuel 5, David is now the king. So here we are in 2 Samuel 11. He's been the king for a little bit of time. So we begin 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. Now, right there, just stop. What was the, the job description of a king? Is when the springtime comes, they're to go out to battle, okay? This is what the Bible's telling us. He goes on to say, so David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon. They besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. And so instead of David joining his men in the Bible, uh, in the battle, David stays in Jerusalem. So it's very easy to see David should have been elsewhere, but what ultimately happens here, he doesn't fulfill his responsibility. He actually abandoned his purpose and abandons his assignment. And this is very clear right here. So in our lives, in your life, often, 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 when we're not doing what we ought to be doing or where we're not supposed to be, that's usually when temptation begins to pounce. When you know what you're supposed to do and you choose not to do it or you're somewhere where you know you're not supposed to be. Get ready. So we're setting the table here. Verse two. Then it happened one evening that David rose from his bed, walked on the roof in the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So what's this crazy woman doing out on the roof anyhow? Huh. So now we have this married guy named David, who's looking at this married woman named Bathsheba. Now, when you look, it happened one evening. When I look into that, I, I don't believe David got up that morning and said, you know what, I think I'm going to commit adultery tonight. That's a novel idea. 
No. David wasn't an immoral man. David, he loved, he loved the Lord. He wasn't a man that wanted to fall. But it's very easy when you let your guard down. And he was captured by a wrong thought here, what takes place. So when you look at everything in verse 2, what you'll begin to see take place in verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4 is what we just read in James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. And what this literally says is desire, enticement, sin, and death. This is exactly what this is talking about. This is the textbook of James 1, 13 through 15 right here. So just like King David None of us are exempt from temptation. None of us. And you may write this down. This will be pretty easy for you to understand. I can't keep the birds from flying over my head, but I sure can keep them from nesting in my hair. What does that mean? You can't keep the temptation from coming, but I sure don't have to allow it to grab a hold of me. So when I read verse 2, one word just sticks out massive. Just one word, one, one little three-letter word, and it's the word saw, S-A-W. And, and, and David saw. Now, the reason that sticks out to me is because everyone in here, the person to your left and your right, every person in here, we all have two eyes. Wow, that's deep, Pastor. That's good you understand that. My point is the power of our eyes. And don't kid yourself. Don't be deceived, my brethren, if you don't think your, your eyes have power. So just like with King David, my looking leads to lusting. I gotta guard my heart. I gotta guard my eyes every day. You can't take your days off. So off of this that statement here, he saw it's cross-referenced to two places. The first one is Job 31:1, which Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a special agreement or a sacred agreement with my eyes not to look or to lust upon another woman. The second one is Matthew 5, 28. And the Lord Jesus said this. Whoever lusts upon a woman, or well, let's flip it around. Whoever lusts upon a man has already committed adultery into his heart. Now, I don't have to ask for a raise of hands. But I would be willing to say, everybody in this room is guilty of that. Not me, Pastor. Well, we're going to pray for liars here in just a little bit. And I'm going to personally come and escort you up here, okay? We live in a society that is saturated by the enticement to look. It's everywhere. But you and me can't live as a hermit. 
I can't be like a groundhog and just go underground for the rest of my life. So just like Job made a covenant with my, I got to make a covenant because I don't care where you go. If you are going to the gym to work out and you have the right mind, I just want to go buff some iron. I'm going to tell you right now, there's going to be someone in there where skin is in. I don't care who you are. And don't get mad at me if you're religious. There's a new little statement out now called the nip slip. Well, it's not a slip. I'm going to tell you right now, it's on purpose. And you can go watch a ball game and go for the right reason. And I'm telling you, half the moon is showing. Everywhere. But just because we live in a sexually saturated doesn't mean it's okay for me to look. And a lot of people would say, well, it's okay to look. You just can't touch. But my looking leads to lusting and lusting begins to take off. And we get to use King David as an example here. And he's, he's all marked up in the Bible. We get a look on the big screen at King David because his life is a blueprint before us, but here's the other side of that. What would happen if your life was all put on the big screen? I can tell you what I'd say, oh, son of a bendigo, this is not good. <laughs> not, not good. So it's very easy to get over and get mad and think, what's up? He's the king. What king? Come on, get your stuff together. So let's watch takes place here. Verse three. So David sent and inquired. Another step. Another form of progression. Instead of running from the temptation, he ran to it. And he asked about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And so right here, this, this guy informs him and says, Hey, hey, king, she's married. And, and she's married to one of your most valued and loyal soldiers. Uriah is a war hero in your army. And you would think maybe that would distract him. But lust is like a snowball. When he gets going, he gets going. Verse four. Then David sent messengers and he took her and she came to him and he lay with her for she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to our house. At this point, nothing mattered to David except fulfilling his lust. The power of lust is real. It's real right now. Verse five. And the woman conceived and David said, oh no. So she sent and told David, said, I'm with child. So he knows she's with child. And at this point, David can stop the sin if he'll just repent. But instead of uh, repenting, he begins to plot and he begins to scheme how to cover it up. Let, let's do something here 
to make it look like I really didn't do what I actually did. I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation. Grace, you going to put that up there? This is Proverbs 28, 13. Ooh, good, good. Listen to this. If you cover up your sin, you'll never do well. Ouch. But if you confess your sins and forsake them, you will be kissed by mercy. You know what mercy screams at us? Mercy says you're not going to get what you deserve. And so David right here, he's at a dilemma in his life. Do I confess or do I cover up? Now, where are you at right now? Are you a confessor or are you a cover-upper? So we go through here and paraphrase what's happened. He chooses to cover up. So he gets a hit on this guy named Uriah, and he actually has Uriah murdered. Again, once the sin gets started, it's very, very difficult. And so that's why I must deal with sin biblically. And let me highlight something for you for the word sin. We don't determine what sin is or isn't. God's already done that. And we live in a society that thinks, well, we can call it sin or we don't have to call it. No, God's already done that. And don't try to get around that when it comes up. When God calls this sin, it's sin. So right here, when we look at all this take place, this man who was known a man after God's own heart, his heart starts growing cold. And his heart hardens. The result of sin, the result of of separation from God. And so what now happens, his legacy is stained not only with adultery, but it's stained with murder because he chose to cover it up. But David forgot about one problem. And his problem is spelled capital G, capital O, capital D. That God sees everything we do. Numbers 32, 23 says, your sin will find you out. One translation says, your sin will catch up to you. And so this is what goes on with King David. And so a little bit over a year elapses in his life. And you know what? In that year span, he never repents. I I wonder how miserable his life was during that year. He won't repent. Go to chapter 12 with me, 2 Samuel 12. Verse one, then the Lord sent Nathan. Nathan was a prophet. And maybe you want to circle something there. Then the Lord sent Nathan. So in reading that right there, Nathan is on an assignment from God to confront David with his sin. And many times, When we're confronted with our sin, we look at the one that's on assignment from God and say, don't judge me. Don't you dare judge. Well, no one's judging you. I don't care if it's Nancy or or Nathan. 
When God puts someone on assignment, the reason he does that is because we're so stinking hard-hearted, we wouldn't repent on our own. So he brings someone into our life to say, you're out of order. Have any of you ever had a Nathan show up? I've had a Nathan. I didn't like what he said, but you know what I knew? He loved me enough to tell me the truth. And so you know what a lot of people do when Nathans and Nancys show up and try to confront them with the truth? They run. They run. They run from job to job. It's my boss. It's not your boss, it's you. You just wouldn't take orders. They run from marriage to marriage. It's my wife. I'm going to upgrade. I need a newer model. And then when we get to the church, they really run. I'll just go to another church. But what ultimately happens when you run, you continue to cover it up instead of confess it. And if we go like David a few years, we get to thinking, well, God must be okay with it. He's not okay with it. So he sends Nathan. Keep reading in verse 1. And he came to him and he said to him, there were two men in the city, one rich and the other poor. So what, David do, or what Nathan does here, he doesn't come out and point blank and say, listen, David, you're a murderer and you're an adulterer. No, he doesn't do it. He tells him this parable and he's using the parable because he knows the Holy Spirit will deal with his heart. Verse two. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herd, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought nourished, grew up together with him with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his own bosom as like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the way foreign man who'd come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. And David's hearing all this. His reaction, verse five. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this, he shall surely die. So what's happened here, this crime was so obvious to King David right here. It was so cruel to King David that infuriated him. It appalled him. He, he became beside himself and he says, this man deserves to die. The problem is he doesn't realize the parables about him. The rich man was him. He had jillions of wives. I don't know jillions, but. The poor man was Uriah. The ewe, the lamb was Bathsheba. And David says, he needs to die. But what David didn't understand right here was he thought he was condemning a rich man, but actually he was condemning himself. And when you read this right here, King David prophesied his own punishment. Thank God we don't get what we deserve. Verse six. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. 
You know what this literally means when he said he'll, he'll have to restore fourfold? King David lost four children. They all died prematurely. The wages of sin's death. Verse seven. Then Nathan said to David, you're the man. You're the man. Nathan had enough guts to tell David the truth. And most people would say, well, I want the truth. Well, you can't handle the truth. Or can I? Or I can't. So when you're confronted with the truth, does it lead me to confess and repent? Or does it lead me to continue to cover up? And so Nathan here, once again, he loves him enough to tell him the truth because he knew God cannot bless when you cover up your sins. And he goes on in verse seven. And Nathan said, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. But with every area of leadership, goes another level of responsibility. We all want this high-ranking position, but we don't want the responsibility that goes with it. Wow. You ought to write a book, Pastor. I've thought about that. It's interesting what he says here. I anointed you as king. So David hears all this. Look with me in verse 13. So David said, I've sinned against the Lord. I've broke the Lord's heart. And, and I don't know this, but I wondered if, if he didn't just drop to his knees and wilt and say, I've sinned against the Lord. And this becomes a, a model for me and you because when you look at what he does here, he doesn't make any excuses. He, he doesn't blame anybody. He, he, would, he could have said, well, if Bathsheba wasn't out there that night, I'd have never got into this. But he owns up as a man and he says, I've sinned against the Lord. And anytime we sin, we must understand that my sin is against the Lord. But all of a sudden, because we have a man who confesses instead of covers up, look at God's response. And Nathan said to, the, to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. And the reason I highlight that, because under the Moses law, he should have died. But he said, the Lord has put away your sin. Now, whew, let me get something really good here, okay? God forgives people. I don't know what you've done in here. But God killed a man who was an adulterer. And, I mean, God forgave a man who was, and God forgave a murderer. Right there. I don't care what you did. This, this nugget right here it shows that God's desire is to forgive us. 
And so what ultimately happens there, not only does God forgive him, God moves him back into a place of being the king. And that's exactly what God wants to do for each one of us. But I gotta have a heart to repent. And I come clean before God. And I told you God was gonna get in your business today. So if you're a note taker, this is all in Psalms 51, one of the greatest Psalms to me. And it goes in detail about King David's repentance at this time. And he says in verse six, only against you, Father God, have I sinned. Almost like his heart was crushed, only against you, Father God. You, you begin to sense the sorrow. Only against you, Father God, have I sinned. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says, the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. And when you see the word irrevocable there, it means they're under full warranty. They're never canceled or rescinded. They can't be withdrawn. When and I, if I respond like King David did. If you'll repent, and ask God to forgive, he'll forgive you. But if you act like King Saul did, and this is 1 Samuel 16, King Saul, he, he would never repent from his heart and he wouldn't obey God. And the Bible said God removed his spirit from him. So in Psalms 51 verses 11 through 13, King David said this, he said, Lord, don't take the Holy Spirit from me. Because he had repented. And so I believe when King David was repenting, I believe God was shouting to King David just like he's shouting to you right now. Romans 5.20 says, where sin abounds, God's grace abounds that much more. Yes. And God's grace as well. And God's mercies are new every day. The kiss of mercy. I believe God was shouting at King David, my, my love covers a multitude of sin. So again, don't, don't think God can't move through your failures. And our God is a God who still takes messes and makes miracles. And our God is still a God of a second chance. And just maybe today you could look to God and say, Father God, I've made such a mess of me. Anybody in here made a mess of me? I've made a mess of me. And what you see here is the devil did everything he did to break that call. And just maybe today you're in here and you think, God could never use me because of everything I've done. That's why we read about King David. Why don't you stand up here? Ooh, the goodness of God. Just the goodness of God. I know a man who'd been in the ministry for over 17 years. 
wrote a number of books, just was known all over America. But for 17 years, he lived a secret life of sin. 17 years. And he said it started with pornography. You know, sometimes people say, you shouldn't talk about sexual sin in church. Well, where do you want to talk about it at? Ultimately, it led to him having prostitutes in his hotel room. And the longer it went on, the more he had the thought, I got away with it. But more than that, God's okay with it. He must be because there hadn't been any consequences until one day his sin was found out. He lost everything. His calling, gone. His wife, gone. His three children, gone. But I saw a clip on this guy just the other day. And he's standing before a group of people. I've made a mess of me, he said. I did this and I did this and I did this. And when a man or a woman was able to stand before people and tell people of all his messes, it's a sign their heart's healed. That God's moving. Do you know what? He's speaking again. That God has reestablished the platform for him. He's a merciful God. I want you to bow your head right there where you're at right now. And just maybe today. There's been some sin in your life that you've tried to hide and you've tried to cover. And you've tried to cover it up. And sometimes it's been out of shame. Sometimes it's been out of guilt. Sometimes you're just so embarrassed that you thought, I, I don't want anyone to know this. But just like King David, we got one small problem. Capital G, capital O, capital D. He knows. And just today, he's, just, he's moving in your heart to say, Come on, today be the day that you confess. Come on, today be the day that you allow God to get your life back on track. Just today, uh, allow that, that calling, that dream, the things of God, just to come back alive. And some of you right now, you say, man, I, I've, been, I've been void of this relationship with God. And I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy to come down here before people. There's a season in my life where every altar call I was down there and people would say, man, he must be goofed up. Well, he was. He was extremely goofed up. But I wasn't coming down to God for people. I was coming down to God for me. I was like, God, I need your mercy. I, I need heaven today. And so as our team starts to sing here, man, don't, don't let another day don't let another week, don't let another year go by where you keep covering this, where you come before God to saying, Father God, only against you have I sinned.
Go ahead, guys. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.